Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Paul Mumo. I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, we love having you with us today. And as we get started today, I want to open up with what I believe probably to be the most important and relevant question for you and your life and, and probably on this day. And the question is this, um, how's your NCAA bracket? Like, how, how, how are you doing at this point? <laughs> Uh, kind of all over the place, or uh, anybody say, hey, I'm doing really well. You picked some of those big upsets. I- I'll tell you who's picked some of those big upsets, my four-year-old, Kate. Uh, believe it or not, we as a family have kind of made it a tradition that we all fill out a bracket. Uh, we did that over custard at Culver's the other night. Kate included, my wife Jenny helped her uh, with uh, at least the names of those schools, and then she just picked them randomly. But the winner in our family at the very end gets to choose where we go out for dinner. But believe it or not, uh, my little girl Kate, my four-year-old Kate, she picked Harvard over New Mexico. All right, I had New Mexico in the final four, All right, but she went with the smart guys uh, for that particular game. And then she had Ole Miss over Wisconsin which, uh, you know, was a pretty big upset as well. But I'm really not sure how that's going to work out for her because she's got Ole Miss to win it all, all right? And, and, and I got a pretty good sense that that's not going to happen. The road will come to an end uh, at some point. But, uh, you know, for the last four years, and March Madness is a great time of the year. I love college basketball. And maybe if you're not even a big fan, uh, you appreciate a time like this. But for the last four years, one of the biggest stories in college basketball has come right out of Indianapolis. And sorry, IU, it's not you. Sorry, Purdue, it's not for you. But we know it's the Butler Bulldogs, right? And, uh, well, you can cheer. You watched the end of the game last night, right? I mean, uh, somebody's like, no, I DVR'd it. I was hoping nobody would say anything. But, but we all know that's been a big, big story. And, and Butler burst onto the national scene back in 2010 when they went on this winning streak and went all the way to the national championship final, which unfortunately is so close. Uh, lost to Duke, but they were the surprise team that year for a couple of reasons. Number one was just a small school from a very small conference, and so that's exciting, you know, whenever you come to a time of the year like this. But also, uh, they were led at the time by third-year basketball coach Brad Stevens. And again, if you follow basketball at all, you know that this is one of the hottest names, one of the, the hottest coaches out there right now, maybe in looks too, I don't know, I won't make that judgment, but he's a great coach. Uh, But what's interesting, what's fascinating about his particular story is that Brad Stevens, you know, is the coach that almost wasn't, you know. And if you rewind back to 2000 when Stevens was first offered an assistant coaching position with Butler, it was like a dream come true for him, you know, something that he always wanted to do. But there was just one problem at the time. The position that he was offered didn't pay. And, you know, we all know that you you need to make money. And and to make matters worse, his girlfriend at the time, who's now his wife, was entering into law school. And so if he took this particular coaching position, it it meant that as a newly married couple, well, they wouldn't have any income. And so how, how do you do something like that? Well, that's a tough leap to make, and especially when you consider the fact that he had this real promising job at the time working for Eli Lilly. And so you can kind of see the barrier that stood between Brad Stevens and what he felt called to do. But, well, what's interesting about the story is that he had the courage. I mean, he had the courage to do what maybe few of us would be willing to do. And so he, he, he quit his job at Lilly and he moved into a friend's basement and he became a volunteer just simply chasing a dream. And the rest is history, you know, and, and still coming to be each day and with each, each season. You know, all of us, at some point or another in life, 
are called on to be men and women of courage. We're called to have courage. And, you know, I mean, courage is the strength to face fear. It's uh, the courage to face fear even in the midst of uncertainty. And we tend to think uh, of courage as a quality that we don't necessarily need in everyday life, but it takes great courage for us to live the lives that God has called us to live. I mean, it really does. I mean, just look at it like this. I mean, as a dad, it takes great courage for you to look in the eyes of one of your kids and apologize when you know that you overreacted. It takes courage to do something like that. It's courage when this week a young guy who hears this message today will break off a relationship with a girl because he just knows that, you know what, God's not in this. I mean, this isn't really what he had in mind for me. I mean, that's courage to make a move like that. I mean, it'll, it'll take courage for an employee to sit down with their boss later on this week and just say something like, you know, what you've been asking me to do goes against every value that I have. I'm not going to treat people like that anymore. I mean, to have a conversation like that takes courage. It takes courage to step into the tub uh, like we had set up here last week and to be baptized and to stand in front of a crowd and maybe in front of family members and say that, you know what, I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus with my life. That takes courage. It takes courage to fight for a marriage when you're married to someone that you're not even sure you love anymore. That's courage. And it takes courage to sit across from a friend or maybe a close family member, a spouse, or even a counselor and say, you know what, I'm struggling. I'm really struggling. I'm struggling with drinking and and it's out of control. Or I'm addicted to pornography and and I want to get well. I don't want to live like this anymore. I mean, that that counts as courage. And more than we realize, we all need it Bible, invite you to the old Joshua chapter. We're still through the Bible again and third talking on the to read your inspiration. And I know taking this week, and so that unity is that if you're hiding a cut, a cup, uh, we're, we're not going to resume in the story again until April the 14th. And so this is a great time to catch up in your reading. Or if you haven't really participated with reading to this point, maybe it's a time to enter in because as we get into April, uh, we're going to get a little deeper into the Old Testament. And again, I just I can't encourage you enough to be reading on your own because you're going to get so much more out of it if you'll just make that a habit, if you'll make that a practice uh, every week. Uh, we, we've been talking about Moses the, and, and the Israelites these past couple of weeks. Uh, you probably know the story or some of the story that God chose Moses to lead the people out of Egypt. And in that famous crossing, they crossed the Red Sea, but didn't go directly into the Promised Land. Um, instead, Moses sent 12 spies into the Promised Land uh, to sort of scope it out before leading the rest of the nation in. And, and he wanted to know if the land was really as good as God described it. I mean, this, this fertile land, this land of milk and honey. And, and he wanted to get a better idea of how hard it was going to be for the Israelite people to overtake, you know, the armies and the enemies that they would come up against in Canaan. Well, these 12 spies went in just as Moses directed, and they surveyed the land for 40 days, and they came back to Moses with some good news, but also with some bad news. Now, the good news was this, that the land was just as God described it. Even better. I mean, it was this fertile land, this land flowing with milk and honey, you know, a a place where frozen yogurt was actually affordable, right? And, you know, that you could get gasoline for like $2 a gallon. I mean, it was just, it, it was that good. I mean, can you imagine that sort of a place? But the bad news was giants. In fact, the men of Canaan were giants. And so much that 10 of the 12 spies voted, they voted, no way, this is impossible. I mean, there is no way that we can go in and take this land and defeat these men. I mean, we're like grasshoppers compared to these men. And so 10 said no. 
when a vote was taken. Two said yes. And who said yes? Well, there were two. Two men, Caleb and Joshua. And even in the midst of doubts, they had the faith to believe that the people of Israel should go in as God directed, that God would protect them. And, well, some of you read about that this past week. I mean, you read in chapter 7 for yourself, and, or chapter 6, and, and we didn't really go into this this past week, but, but Caleb and Joshua begged the people to go into the promised land. And find, in fact, we find it in Numbers chapter 14, or if you're with us in the storybook, over on page 76, um, and I realize I told you to go to Joshua, so just, just kind of follow along with me here. But Numbers 14, 6 and 9, here's how it went. It says, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, uh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire assembly, the Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, He will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Sounds like courage, right? I mean, these men have a lot of courage and a lot of faith, but unfortunately, majority rule, 10 against 2. You know, Caleb and Joshua demonstrated faith in God, but the rest of the nation said, no way. I mean, they looked at the circumstances that were before them and they said, there's no way that we can do this. And, well, as a result, God punished the nation of Israel for their lack of faith. And He required the people of Israel to spend the next 40 years, like we talked about last week, the next 40 years wandering around in the wilderness, one year for each of the 40 days the spies spent exploring Canaan. And during that season of wandering, um, Moses made a poor leadership choice. And because of it, God told him that he would die before the rest of Israel entered into the promised land. In fact, none of the Israelites were going to survive this journey and find themselves entering into the promised land. None, that is, except for Caleb and Joshua. These two men with great faith and great courage. Now, to get us where we will be today, fast forward 40 years through the wandering in the wilderness... Moses dies, Joshua is appointed the new leader over all of Israel. And let's pick it up there in Joshua chapter 1, starting in verse 1 and through 6. Here's what it says. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, not to be confused with the Boone County county seat over there, but, and from the great river, the Euphrates, um, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. All right, so now Joshua is the new guy in charge. All right, he's God's choice. He's the new honcho here. And the first order of business for Joshua was to lead these people into the promised land. And the first barrier that stood before them was the Jordan River. I mean, they're going to have to cross the Jordan River before they can ever begin this journey into the promised land. Now, 
it's one thing for you and me, for a couple of us, to find our way across the Jordan River with no bridge, but to get a couple of million people across? I mean, you can sort of see the the barrier that they're, they're up against. I mean, it's no small task. And add to that, once they cross the Jordan River, Joshua knows what's on the other side. I mean, sure, it's been 40 years, but... But, I mean, he remembers. I mean, he remembers. He was a part of that team that went in early on to see what the land was like. And he knows how challenging this is going to be. I mean, and and he's a seasoned warrior, but he knows how strong the armies of Canaan will be. And, And I believe he's full of faith and certainly full of courage. But I also bet there's some concern and maybe even a little fear on the part of Joshua. And so that's why God leaves Joshua with with these special instructions. In verses 6 and 7, he says, Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. And then the first part of verse 7, he says, Be strong and very courageous. Remember, they're not even in the promised land yet. They haven't even taken a step. But here's what God's doing He's preparing them ahead of time for what they're going to experience later. And have you ever experienced anything like that in your life? Maybe where you just sense that God is preparing you ahead of time for something that you're going to experience later. I mean, once in a while, you'll look back to something that you went through maybe, say, a year ago or or you go back and you look at a message you heard a couple of weeks ago or a few months ago or something, and whatever it is or whatever it was, you see that it was no accident. It was no coincidence. I mean, maybe it was something that you read in your Bible one morning and you read it in the morning, but it didn't make sense until the afternoon. God was preparing you ahead of time for something that you were going to experience it later. And, and whether you realize it or not today, it could be happening right now. That today or tomorrow or sometime later this week, you're going to be presented with an opportunity to practice courage. You're going to need to dig deep and, and go looking for courage in your life to be obedient. Uh, maybe to step out in faith or take a risk or make a move on something that there's going to be some uncertainty that comes with it. And so it's going to require great faith and great courage. Well, that's what God's doing with Joshua. I mean, he's preparing him and he prepares him by saying, Joshua, be strong and be very courageous. So here's what happens. Joshua sends out two spies. Uh, He sends them out to the city that will be their first target to a place called Jericho. And while in Jericho, spying on the land, a prostitute named Rahab takes in these two spies because Rahab had learned what was coming. They she had learned what Israel was about and that they would be coming to Jericho to attack the city. And so she makes an agreement with these two Israelite spies to protect them, to house them for a brief period of time if they in return would promise to protect her and to protect her family when the Israelites finally attack the city. Well, what the spies see when they're in Jericho is that they've got this formidable task ahead of them. I mean, the walls around the city are so great I mean, they are thought to be indestructible. And it's almost as if the people of Jericho had a sense of what was coming, that the Israelites were on their way. And so it was as if the whole city was on high alert and the gates are closed and guards are posted everywhere. And it really is going to be a difficult siege for Israel. And 
Well, we'll just pause there and we'll come back to that for a second. While all of this is happening, Joshua is back at camp getting the people of Israel ready to take their first steps into the promised land. And he issues this order. He says, hey, in three days, we're going to go. All right, I need you to get your things ready because we're going into the promised land and we're going to move on. And, well, if you've been around, you know what moving's like, right? I mean, you know what it means to pack up a home, to pack up a family, even to pack up your dorm room and to move on uh, to the next season of life. It takes some time. It's going to take some preparation. And, well, can you imagine for a couple of million people that have been wandering around in the wilderness for all these years what it was like to get ready to go? And, And not that they would choose the wilderness for any other sort of reason, but it's all they've ever known. And so God is getting them ready. He's preparing them. He's using Joshua in this. I mean, they're, they've grown comfortable with their circumstances in the past, but God is getting them ready to move. And maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you, you can know or you understand what it's like to sense something like that, a, a sense that God has something greater planned for you. And you're not absolutely sure or positive what it is, but you just kind of feel like he's getting you ready. He's preparing you for something else, that, that he's got a new plan for you, maybe a, a change of job, or a change of location, maybe a promotion at work. Uh, maybe he's got a change of school in mind or a, a change of career. You know, maybe you see some details coming together post-graduation that you're hopeful about or or maybe even concerned about. Maybe you're wondering if... God has some new sort of role, a leadership role for you in ministry in a place like Genesis Church. You know, maybe as a husband and wife, you both work, but you and your spouse are kind of working through that decision of the possibility of maybe one staying home, of your wife staying home. And you know that if you do that, that's going to dramatically affect affect income and maybe even lifestyle. I mean, whatever it is, you know, whatever it is that's going on, whatever move, you know that it's going to require courage. Because we're required to practice courage all the time, you know. I've got a sense that God is getting Genesis Church ready for something more. I really do. I'm not sure what it is yet, but I believe that God is preparing us. He's getting us ready uh, for something more. I've just been blown away, you know, especially recently by His work here and your generosity here through this church and and how you've been giving of your time and your talents and your treasure and for all of the people that are coming and the opportunities before us to help people find their way back to God as a church. I don't know if you realize it or not. I've got a little graph here just to kind of show you what's been happening in our church over the last few years. Um, It's an attendance graph. And if you go back to just kind of some of our records, looking at the first week in March, uh, all the way back to 2010, we were averaging around 494 people at the time. But you'll see what we did just a few weeks ago. Between two campuses, we had 924 people uh, worshiping with us, men, women, students, and children on a Sunday morning. And that's tremendous. I mean, just, just absorb that for a second. And, and I've always got to say, because I know there's somebody out there that's thinking, well, Paul, it's not about the numbers, right? It is about the numbers. Because every number represents a, a person and a soul. I mean, it is a man. It is a woman. It is a child. It is a student. And when your mission as a church is helping people find their way back to God, well, there are great lengths that you've got to be willing to go to as a church. And one of the things that we're trying to practice, and I just believe that so many of you feel like is important, is that if there is one person out there that doesn't know Jesus Christ, our work's not done. 
I mean, there, there is more to do. And so what does it mean for us to be a welcoming church? And what does it mean for us to be a going church? Again, when your mission is helping people find their way back to God, well, the stakes are so high. And, and, and so I believe that God is getting us ready. I believe that he's got some other things in mind. And whether that's a, you know, another campus, whether that's the expansion of facilities, whether that is another service, um, well, I just want to kind of show you realistically one of the walls that we're up against right now, especially right here in Noblesville. And I want to show you this chart. And uh, I want to give you a, a second just to think about it, because what this is, is this is a layout of our auditorium. And so over on the far left, uh, kind of those, that fan-shaped diagram there that represents the back doors, and you can see the stage uh, where I'm standing right now. Here's what we're typically seeing at 1115, uh, for example, on Sunday mornings, and that is that our room can be as much as 72 to 75% full. Now, we've got, I think, somewhere around 433 chairs in here, and so if you kind of do the math quickly, you're thinking, well, you know, that means that there may be like 100 chairs or something left. I mean, we've got plenty of room left for people to grow. Well, just take a moment and allow this soak in because every red chair, just kind of as an example, represents a filled seat. This diagram here shows a room that is 72% full. And I want you to just imagine for a moment that let's say a family of five shows up this morning for the very first time. And, you know, they get here right on time because they're a little nervous, a little bit anxious about what they're going to experience when they get here. And maybe one of their kids is going to Gen Kids and so they get their child dropped off. That takes a couple of minutes and well, what do you know? By the time they walk into the room, it's about 1125. We're already a couple of songs into our service. They walk into the back of the door, and this family of four walks into this situation. Now what? Where do we go? Friends, this is an incredible challenge and problem to have. And it's a reality for us right now. Now, you might be looking around like right now and thinking, well, there are a lot of seats out there. Well, it's snowing, and we've got a lot of different things going on. And I appreciate you attending the 930 service because we believe this is one of the services where we can still grow. But, again, it's just a reminder for me. And, again, as we see the people coming and as we see God providing, and I see so many of you stepping up to serve and to lead in these great and awesome ways, I really believe that God is getting us ready for something else. You know, and is it another campus? Is it a third service? Does it mean expansion? We don't know. But would you pray with us in it? Pray with us? Uh, you know, and, and the question I want to ask is, well, I know that God has a plan. But the question that we're going to be up against as a church is, will we have the courage to follow God with that plan? Well, back to the story. Um, three days pass. And the people of Israel on their move uh, behind Joshua, and their first task is to get across the Jordan River, which is an incredible story in itself. But we're not going to talk about it today. We don't have time, but you should read it because it's a phenomenal story. But they cross the river, and they spend some time at a place called Gilgal, which is an interesting story too. And they celebrate Passover there, but then they're on the move again, and next stop is Jericho. And Jericho would be the first of many battles that God's people are going to face on their way to taking over the promised land. And here's a little of what we know about Jericho. It was a, a very compact place, about six acres total, and it was crammed full of soldiers and guards, you know, because this city, again, was on high alert. But to top it off, surrounding the city was a wall, a wall that scholars estimate that was at least 12 foot high and six feet thick and completely made of stone. 
And eventually Joshua and the people, the people of Israel, they arrive at Jericho and they come face to face with this wall. And, well, you know, they had to be thinking, now what? I mean, what are we going to do about this? I mean, they can't get around it. They can't get over it. It's this massive wall and no one really knows what to do next. And I want to just stop there for a second if we could. And I want to take a moment and just, just kind of ask you, as you think about where you are in your life today, what's the wall in your life right now? I mean, what, what, what's the wall of uncertainty that's standing before you? Or standing before you and your family right now? I mean, is there a challenge or a situation in front of you, an obstacle, you know, that seems impossible to overcome? I mean, maybe you run a business or something and and you've been going through some really difficult times and trying to get your business going or to keep it running. And so that wall for you is some uncertainty. It's, you know, what are we going to do next? Uh, maybe that wall for some of you is a health issue because this past week you found out some things about your own health or, or maybe it's not your health, but maybe the health of someone that you love. Maybe that wall is a relationship that you wonder or you're concerned that is just beyond repair. Maybe it's a person that you love and someone that you know doesn't know Jesus and you're doing everything you can to try and get through to them, but it just seems like you're making no progress. I mean, maybe you've got some high hopes of doing something great for God. I mean, something new with your family for Him. But what's in front of you right now is just this wall. This wall of uncertainty. A wall of debt or a wall that's full of doubts. And all you can wonder is, you know, what does it mean for me to be strong and to be very courageous? Well, God's got a plan. He's got a plan for Joshua and for Jericho. And one night an angel of the Lord appears to Joshua and just lays out this plan of attack against Jericho. And we see it in Joshua chapter 6, starting in verse 2. It says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horn in front of the ark, and on the seventh day march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse, and the army will go up, everyone straight in. That's God's plan. I mean, that's God's plan for Joshua and for these people. No battles, no catapults. No battering rams, anything like that. Just some men carrying trumpets, marching around the city every day for one week. And God says at the end, at the end of the week, the walls, I promise, are going to come falling down. Can we just kind of stop there for a minute and acknowledge what any of us would be thinking if we were in Joshua's shoes or the people's shoes at this moment? That it's, it's clear with this story of Joshua, and maybe you've seen it in your life too, that God's plans do not always make sense. They don't. I mean... Even as we think about what we talked about last week in the wandering and why He asked us to wander in the wilderness, His plan for our life, for your life, for our lives, they don't always make sense. And certainly not in this case. I mean, when we look at the nation of Israel, we see what they've got on their side. They've got numbers. I mean, they really do. They've got numbers on their side. I mean, they've got a, a million or so men that are ready to go in and take on this city. I mean, they could clearly go on the attack, but that's not what God has planned. Now, why? Well, there are many reasons for why. I mean, one could be that if the people of Israel took Jericho with pure physical strength, well, there's a chance then that the people would take credit for it, that they would take all the credit for it. But that's not what God wants. Because if it's accomplished with physical strength, then Israel gets all the glory. 
But God's not about making Israel famous. And the same is so true today that He's not interested in making Christians famous or making you famous or making me famous or even making Genesis Church famous. You and I are called to make God famous. We are called to make much of Him. And so that is why His plans don't always make sense to us. And He tells us that much. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, we read, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. He says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts more than your thoughts. You know, and not only are his plans and and his schedule and his paths usually different than ours, but they're better and they're right. I mean, even when his plan doesn't make sense to you or to your family. And and look at the way God communicated his plan in verse 2. He says, you know, then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered. Notice the past tense there. I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and fighting men. I mean, they're still standing on the outside of the wall looking in at this moment, but God is speaking as if it had already happened. And and for you and me, this helps us understand the importance of courageous faith. It reminds us that in life, if God has promised it, you can hold Him to it. I mean, that's why it's so important for you to read the Bible, to read the promises of God for yourself, because if God has promised it in His Word, that you and I, we get to hold Him to it because He's promised And 14 times in the story, God just says, you know what, I I will give you the land. You will inherit this land. And Joshua knew that. And so he had faith to believe in this moment that God would follow through. And we see once again that faith fuels courage. And as we're going to see in just a moment, God is going to tear down this wall. And I'm here to tell you today that if you're sitting here this morning, but you're looking smack dab at the face of a wall that's looking right back at you, our God still tears down walls. I mean, he still does that today, and He can do that in your life, and He does that in my life. And, and maybe this morning He's going to use a message like this to renew your faith and to renew, renew your courage in Him. But now here's what Joshua's up against. He's got to go in front of all of the people of Israel, and he's got to tell them about this plan. And, and so he goes to them, and if you can just kind of imagine, he's probably like, okay, um, here's what we're going to do. Uh, I need you to get all of your armor and stuff. But I need you guys over here. I need to get you. I need to get your trumpets. And um, and here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna march around the city every day for the next seven days. Uh, so your feet are gonna get a little tired. Just be prepared for that. And then um, on the seventh day, we're going all the way around seven times. And at the end, well, our secret weapon. The plan is this: um, the band are gonna blow their trumpets, and all with a loud shout, and the walls are gonna come tumbling down. Like, that's the plan. That, that's what Joshua's got to do. And you, you know that in that moment, there was a real cynic in the crowd that was probably like, <clears throat> excuse me, Joshua, um, I know you're new to this, but like you're telling me uh, that the plan is um, trumpets, a marching band. You know, that, that, that's what's going to take down this city. Uh, very intimidating. Yes, yes. Well, I thought you might enjoy this past week. I contacted my mom. Just to kind of show you, you know, what it must have been like for the people of Jericho to look on the other side of this wall. And I said, Mom, I know there's a picture out there, a picture that if I don't get it out in front of the people now, it will one day slip out and I'm not going to have control over it. And that's me. Uh, that's me in my marching band uniform in about sixth grade. And there are so many things that are funny about this picture, but you're probably wondering, why is there a pretzel on the front of that uniform? 
Well, I grew up near New Berlin, Illinois, and believe it or not, New Berlin is known as the pretzels still to this day. That is their, their mascot. And so I, I know you're thinking, wow, how did he ever get married? Like, I mean, what? Like, how, you know, God, does, God can do incredible things in your life, too. He can. Uh, he can change you. And, uh, but intimidation, well, here, here, here's, what, here's what's going to happen. Here, here's where we go. As God promised, exactly what happened. And, you know, the people, they marched around this city and God was faithful to His promise. Look, look at verse 20, Joshua 6.20. It says, When the trumpet sounded, uh, the army shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed so everyone could go straight in. And they took the city. And they devoted the city to the Lord and they destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep and donkeys. I've got to just add there that when you read that last part, I know that you can't help but think to yourself, well, that, that sounds pretty cruel and pretty heartless, something that God would ask them to do. I mean, no survivors, no prisoners. And, and from a lower story perspective, I've got to tell you that's true. I mean, I have that same sort of difficulty with a passage like this, but let's remember, we've got to remember that His ways are not our ways. And His ways are higher than our ways. And for every lower story tragedy that we read about in the Old Testament, well, there's an upper story purpose too. And in this case, God is creating a new nation, His treasured possession. And in this particular situation, He wants no evil left behind. He wants a fresh start. But even in the story of Jericho and God's willingness to destroy the evil within, we see the evidence of His amazing grace at work too. I mean, it's the upper story at play. I mean, remember Rahab? I mean, she's the prostitute inside of the city walls and the one that promised to help the people of Israel in return for her own protection and for the protection of her family. Well, she did her part and her life and the lives of her family members were scared or were spared. And, and you can't help but wonder, really, a prostitute? I mean, couldn't have God have, have chosen someone else? I mean, someone with great, a greater reputation. But just a reminder that God always has a plan. And Rahab survived, and wouldn't you know it, her name shows up later in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 1. You know, genealogies were so important, so powerful for the Jewish people. And even in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 1, it opens this way. It says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. Amminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Now, probably Salmon. He probably didn't want to be called Salmon. But Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And even Jesse, the father of King David. And what's just really cool part of, uh, about this is that Rahab was a part of the line. She was a part of the family line that would eventually lead to King David, but so much more importantly than that, the line of our Messiah, Jesus Christ. You know, for some of you, it took incredible courage for you to walk into this building today. Because maybe you walked into this building and, I don't know, like Rahab, maybe to some degree, maybe you've got a past that you hope no one ever discovers or finds out about. I just want you to know that God can use you too. And He sent Jesus Christ for you. And what He did with Rahab, He can do in your life. I mean, even a redeemed prostitute like Rahab has a purpose in God's plan with Jesus. 
well, quickly, you know, you've got a defeated Jericho. And what's God up to with Israel now? Well, God's getting his people ready to get going on this conquest. And it's not going to be easy. I mean, they crossed the river. They defeated Jericho. But there are so many battles ahead. I mean, again, these are great steps of faith. But this is only the start. And difficult days are going to follow. Difficult days of loss uh, in battle, the loss of lives. And, and it, well, if you read the chapter for yourself this past week, you probably noticed a theme over and over again. And the theme is this. God says, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And he reminds Joshua about this over and over again because he knew that when the people saw the river and when they saw the wall that they would be afraid and and he knew it was going to be a difficult road for them. But God says, be strong and courageous. Which raises a question, another question, and that is where does courage come from? I mean, is, something, is courage something that you dig deep and expect to find? I mean, put on a little Eye of the Tiger music, you know, and fire yourself up and, and go face another day. No, God commands the people to be courage, courageous. And so we've got to ask, where does courage like that come from? Well, I believe that courage comes from heaven. You know, and I believe it's something that we receive when we pray. I mean, we pray and we ask God to give us courage and to give us the faith to believe and to trust in Him. And when the Israelites observed the size of the wall and the size of their enemies, I'm confident that there was fear for them too. But still they chose to stand strong, even in that fear, and to choose courage. Courage that can only come from heaven. Now friends, God's Word is still for you and me even today. In His words, be strong and very courageous. No matter what you're standing and looking up against right now. And when you think about it, I mean, why couldn't we? I mean, why couldn't we be courageous? I mean, when you've got a God who has promised that He is always with us, an ever-present help in time of trouble. And over and over again, you know, Jesus in the Gospels, He promised, He says, I will be with you and I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And that's just a great reminder that we don't have to do life alone. You know, we don't have to live a life of fear and anxiety because we don't know what's going to happen, but we live a life of of faith and of courage and of strength because God is with us and He is bigger than our wall and He is bigger than all of our challenges and, and He's stronger than any enemy you'll ever come up against in your life. And it's not within us that we've got to go looking for it to find that faith or to find that courage. But our courage is found in Him. And we find that in Jesus. And He's made that available to us and, and maybe you can embrace that courage even today. Let's pray. God, as a church, we, um, we just want to acknowledge that, that our eyes have too often been on the wall. And too often we've become focused on our smallness, and God, we just want to change that. I mean, we want to be a part of the Joshua generation who believes, believes you, and that you can take the city and that whatever wall we come across, it's not too big for you. And we can't get around it and we can't get over it on our own, but God, you are with us. And Lord, how our stories would be different if we lived with that kind of faith, if we lived with that kind of courage that you you are with us. Lord, would you show us what it looks like to live like that? And would you help us in these next few minutes to take our eyes off our smallness and to put them on you? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, I want to invite you to to stand with us as we sing this last song. And... um,